All right, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 15, calling this Family Man. Um, and I kind of put the title in there uh, kind of ironically, just uh, like ask the question, like, is, was Jesus a family man? And it's like, it's, it's kind of a funny idea to think about because he, he, wasn't, he wasn't a husband and he wasn't a father, which is typically the, the two things that we think of when you think about like the concept of a family man. Uh, but he very much valued those things. He very much valued family, valued children, and, and demonstrated that. And we're going to see that in our passage today. So that's why we're calling this family man. Versus, uh, so we'll start off with verses 1 through 12, talking about marriage. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, then why did Moses command one to give it a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces, divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, is it better not to marry? But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Okay, a lot to unpack there. So, First off, we see Jesus and the disciples, they're getting back to the mission. They've spent some time in Capernaum um, in 1724. It talks about them returning to Capernaum after their mission among the Gentiles. And now they're going back out. They spend some time in Capernaum. Now they're back out on mission. They're going to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. They're kind of going further off, pushing the mission field. They're going and they're teaching and healing large crowds. But the Pharisees are still in pursuit. The Pharisees are still hot on their tail. They haven't forgotten about him. They're still trying to find him, trying to trap him, trying to test him in some way because of the crowds. The crowds, are, are they were their crowds, and they want them back. And, and so they're going after him. They want to see if they can catch him saying something heretical. And really what you see them doing here is going back uh, to, you know, they're like a football coach, and he's going back to, okay, what worked late, earlier in the game? Where did we get some big yards? And they're going back and dialing up that play again when they got John the Baptist. Because they got John the Baptist on talking about marriage. Because he criticized Herod and his marriage to his brother Philip's wife. And that's what got him arrested, and that's what ultimately got him beheaded. And so they're trying to go back to the same playbook. They're like, okay, we got John with the marriage thing. So like, let's get Jesus. We could do the same thing. Let's ask him about marriage. And maybe he'll start talking about the Roman government and the Roman leaders, and especially Herod. And then, boom, we got it. Right? So they're, they're trying to trap him again because divorce under Roman rule had become 
uh, part of the culture, and it had made their own culture increasingly secular. And especially with the Greek influence, divorce became more and more common because divorce was very common in the Greek culture, and so it became more common in the Roman culture, and then that was influencing the uh, the Israelite culture. And so these leaders were fighting to try to maintain Moses, the law of Moses, under Roman rule. They kept trying to figure out how can we enforce this because they're losing their grasp and they're seeing their culture become more and more secular. And they knew that if they could trick Jesus into making these bold statements against the laws and leaders of Rome, they could spell trouble for him. But what Jesus does instead, because they ask him, okay, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason? They want to know, can we just do it for any reason? No fault divorce? Can we, just, can we just divorce our wives for nothing? And, and this is an important, an important caveat to this passage and, and divorce in Scripture in general, is that in, in the past, for, it's always, you notice it's always talking about a man divorcing his wife, because that was almost always how it went, and that would spell poverty, destitution for the wife. This wasn't, it wasn't like an, there wasn't equality in the sense that, that like, hey, you could just split up and then you both go your own ways and, and both are doing well and both are working or whatever. Like there was no way of, of, of doing that. To, to divorce one's wife would make her a, a social outcast, a pariah, um, and, and she wouldn't have really very many ways of making a living. So she would live in poverty the rest of her life. So in, in, in Jesus's day, in divorce, the, the woman was the victim almost entirely. And, and what they're talking about here is that basically, can we kick our wives out and get a younger model anytime we want? That's what they're looking for. They're saying, can we just do it whenever we want, like the Greeks, essentially, is what they're saying. And what Jesus does, instead of addressing this issue of divorce, he actually points them back to marriage. And he brings them back to God's, the creator's intent for marriage. And he, he lays it out like this. He says, listen, God made people male and female. He made, made men and women. And, and they, they, he made them for one another. And that they must abandon their families of origin and cling to one another. And that they become one flesh in, a, in more than just the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense and the emotional sense. That they become one and that that joining, nobody should be separating that. That God, what God has joined that together, he's joined them together in a unique way. And, and we shouldn't be splitting that up, is essentially what he says. He points them back to God's creation intent. But the Pharisees counter by bringing up the law of Moses. They say, well, what about then why are there divorce laws in the law of Moses? And he, they're, what they're talking about is Deuteronomy chapter um, 24, verses 1 through 4, where it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before Yahweh. You should not bring sin upon the land that Yahweh your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, that 
that like I know that that law that sounds like so archaic. It sounds very antiquated, and but but here's the surprising thing, is that that is actually like a at the time a major step forward in women's rights. I know that seems crazy, but it actually was. This was intended to protect women from being abused by their husbands. Essentially, they just passed around whenever they wanted, put out of the house the minute he's angry. Like, oh, you burnt the dinner? Get out of here. I divorce you. Okay, in the morning, come back. That's literally the kind of thing that they're protecting against. He's saying, listen, if you're going to kick her out, you, you need to be serious about it. You need to write a certificate. It's an official thing, and then that's it. You're done. You can't be bringing her back. You can't just play, the, you can't play games with her. She matters. She's, she has value. So if you're going to be doing this, it needs to be something that you're taking seriously, is what the law of Moses was saying. But, and, when, and so they say, well, then why are there these laws? Why, okay, why are there these laws at all in, in the law of Moses? If, if divorce isn't God's ideal, then why are there these laws? And Jesus essentially says, like, it's, it's your fault that these laws exist. There's, it's your hardness of heart. We can ask this about so many things. You know, I think that's always, it's always a fun game to play if you look at products and then like you go and, and like read the instructions and like the things that you're supposed to do and not do with them. And oftentimes you'll get to it like some weird product and it'll be like, don't stick this in your ear. And you're like, why would I, I wouldn't do that. And you're like, oh, somebody did. <laughs> right? All of those weird warnings that you see are because somebody did that. That's what he's saying here. He's saying like the reason that those laws have to exist is because of your hardness of heart, because of your brokenness, because we live in a broken world. But he's saying it's not God's intention. It's not his intention for marriage wasn't like, okay, yeah, we're going to have these marriages, but we're gonna, we, we know they're not going to last. So like, let's put in these laws. That's the way it's meant to work. It's meant to break and then, we're, and then we keep going. No, he didn't mend it that way. That's not, wasn't his original creation intent, but we live in a broken world. So these things are going to happen. We live in a world that is stained by sin, where people make mistakes, where people hurt one another. So these things have to exist. But what we see the Pharisees doing here is they're questioning, and this is something that we do all the time and that people do all the time. They want to know what can we get away with instead of what is God's perfect will. All the time, we see people who want to know, what can I, okay, God, what can I get away with? Not, what do you want for me? We're not like, okay, well, what can I do where like I would still be, like God's not gonna technically be mad at me. I can get, I can get by, but it's also not really what he wants for me. That's what the Pharisees are going, getting at here. They want to know, okay, well, what, where's, where's the line so we can walk right up to it and not over it? That's the game they played all the time. And that's the game we still see even Christians, even believers playing all the time of what can we get away with? What will God allow me to do within the parameters instead of what does God want most for me? That applies not just in terms of marriage and divorce, but in everything in life. It's something that if, we, if we're truly following God, then we should want what he wants for us, not what he will allow us to do, because his ways are perfect. Okay, so Jesus gets into one area in which, because there's a couple questions we might ask here. 
And one is, what are the grounds for a biblical divorce? Which is, again, because of what Jesus has said, a funny concept where he's saying, like, admittedly, this was never the plan. The plan was for people to get married and stay together. But outside of that, what are the things that would, God does find it acceptable or, or like that it's, it's justified and right in some way? And, and here are the grounds that we can find in Scripture. First is adultery. That's what Jesus says here. He says, except for ex- sexual immorality. So if you're walking outside of, uh, of stepping outside of your marriage, he's saying you have every right to then separate. Another would be abandonment. We're going to see that in a passage we're going to look at in just a minute here. Uh, meaning that your spouse says, like, I'm leaving you. You don't have to be like, no. You don't have to chase them down or something. And then the last is abuse, which we see as a form of abandonment, that, that if that's happening, that, that you, you need to get away. And, and that's one thing that we want to be very clear and say, always seek help and get to a safe place in abusive situations. If you're in a marriage that's abusive, you need, to get to sa- you need to get safe. Maybe it can be worked out. Maybe the marriage can be saved. But first and foremost, you need to get to a safe place. And so tell somebody, talk to somebody, get safe, and then we can work on it. But not until you're in a safe place. Um, that's always a priority. So we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 16, Paul speaks about this abandonment issue. He says, To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if the, any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Notice in that passage, Paul, Paul specifies a couple places where he's saying, like, this is a command from the Lord. And in other places, he says, this is advice that I'm giving you. In any case, it's, it's good advice, and it matters. Um, and, and he's talking about the fact that, like, hey, if, you're, if you get married, and what Paul's, the problem Paul's addressing here is, uh, and this exists today, he's, he was going into these regions where people were not believers, and no one was a believer. That w- he's planting churches, brand new churches, and so he's going, proclaiming the gospel. People are becoming believers. In some instances, one spouse would become a believer and the other wouldn't. Maybe the wife would become a believer and the husband wouldn't, or the husband would become a believer and the wife wouldn't. And they want to know, like, oh, okay, like, we, we don't know what to do now. Should we stay together or not? especially the believer who wants to know, I want to please God now, so like, should I stay with this person? Obviously, I would prefer to be married to a believer, but if I'm not, like, should I stay with them or not? And he essentially says, yes, stay together. Stay together. You don't know what's going to happen. Maybe your influence will lead to their salvation. But if they want to leave you, if they want to abandon you, then let them go, essentially what he says here. So, he gives that advice, and it's important the way what we say in general here. This kind of points us to this idea that you're not commanded to get a divorce in any situation. You're not commanded to get a divorce in any situation. Where, like, even in case of adultery, you're not commanded to get a divorce as a result of adultery. Like that may be where you, it, it has to go, 
but there are people who have worked through it, and especially in belie- uh, believers who work through it for the sake of, uh, of, of God, for the fact that they are trying to honor this commitment that they've made and, and repair and, and show forgiveness and grace and mercy, incredible grace and mercy, but yet this is still something that can, it can sometimes be salvaged. Now, we have a couple other questions we want to talk about here that are important to address. And, and the next one I think is really important. What if I already had an unbiblical divorce? So talk about this idea of, oh, this, these are the, the biblical grounds for divorce. There are other non-biblical grounds for divorce. What if, what if I already had it? What if I already had an unbiblical divorce? Then you're a sinner. But so is everybody else. That's, the, that's an important thing that, like, this is a, such an important concept that we need to make that we need to be clear on here is it's strange to me how often Christians get in debates over like what is sin and what isn't and particularly to defend their own righteousness that we go like well yes I did this and maybe it wasn't the exact perfect right thing to do but I wasn't sin I'm not I, it wasn't a sin don't add that to my account like why not in my, in my estimation, when, when I, that, something like that happens to me, and I go like, well, maybe it was wrong, maybe it was sin, I'm not sure. I go, go ahead and add it. Add it on. The bill's, bill's covered. Right? It's, like, you, it's covered already. Like, there's no reason in your life, if, unless you're talking about doing something new, and like doing something and you go like, well, I don't know if it would be a sin or not for me to do that. Then certainly examine it and figure out if you should do it or not. But if it's something that's already been done, it's already happened, then tack it on. Like what, just default to, hey, yeah, it's sin. I'm a, because guess what? I'm a sinner. Like, and if you're somebody who's accepted the gospel, like that, this is the sinner's club. Like that's the, the, the price of entry is admitting that you're a sinner. The price of entry is admitting that you're not perfect, admitting that you've made mistakes, admitting that there are things that are wrong. So there's no reason to defend yourself anymore because you have an advocate. You're washed in the blood of Jesus. He has already paid for, died for your sins, defeated Satan's sin and death on your behalf, and and made you righteous by your belief in that. By accepting his forgiveness that he offers you, he has made you righteous. Your righteousness was never your own to begin with. So if you've already had a biblical divorce, hey, that's sin, but join the club. We're all sinners. We're all saved by grace. You need Jesus' forgiveness just like everyone else. Now, we also have to say it, it may be possible for you to reconcile if you've already had a biblical divorce. If, if neither of you has remarried, maybe it's possible to reconcile. That's, if that's something you want to examine, you could. Next question we might need to answer, what if I'm headed for divorce? What if that's something that in my marriage isn't going great and it feels like we're headed that direction? Seek help. Seek help from wise friends, from pastors from professional counselors get help don't just try to bury the problem and pretend it will go away you need to get help in this situation if your spouse doesn't want to go to counseling you go to counseling if you talk about it and you go like i think we really could benefit from some marital counseling like like maybe we should go see somebody and they don't want to do it say then i'm just going to go 
and you go and you work on yourself and work on your half of the relationship and talk to your spouse about how you're feeling. Now, the disciples, they have a very different question because these guys are all single at this point. And so they have this question of like, okay, then should we just not get married? Is it better not to marry? Like they hear Jesus talk about this. He's essentially saying like, hey, yeah, marriage is, is great. God designed it. He says, I mean, he's talking about the, the, from the beginning, from Genesis, God designed people for marriage, but they want to know, okay, well then if marriage is so messy, if there are divorces and all these things, like, is it better not to marry? And, uh, and Jesus says that this instruction is only given to those who can receive it. And he's essentially saying like, that may be true for some people, but not for everybody. That there are some people for whom that can be true, other people for whom it can't. And, and Paul expands on this idea in 1 Corinthians in the couple verses before the ones we read earlier, verses 6 through 9. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, again, Paul here is saying, even there, he's saying this is a concession, it's not a command. He's giving his own opinion here. It's not exactly, it doesn't carry quite the same weight as the authoritative word of God. But he's saying, I think it's good to be like I am. Paul wasn't, was unmarried at this point in his life. And he's saying, and it's unclear whether he was ever married, but he's, he's saying, I, at this point, I think it's better for you to remain unmarried. I think it's better for you to do that. But if that's not something that you can do, if you, if you, if you feel drawn to it, I mean, he, he says that it's better to, uh, to marry than to burn with passion as the, like, that's the only reason someone would want to get married. But um, but he's saying essentially, like, if it's not something that you're drawn to, then don't seek it out. He's saying there's benefits to remaining unmarried, and, and the benefit of remaining unmarried, he expands on a little further on in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And he's essentially saying, hey, those who are unmarried, they can have undivided devotion to the Lord. They're only concerned about how do I please the Lord. But as soon as you bring another person, you now have to consider that person. And notice this is an important point. His implication there is that caring for your spouse is the right thing to do. That, that sacrificing even ministry for the sake of your spouse is the right thing to do. He's saying your, your interests will be divided, and they should be. They should be divided. He's saying if you're unmarried, you can just have all-out devotion to the Lord. You do things just for, for him. But if you're married, now you have this other person to consider. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus was not married. His mission would have precluded him from having a wife um, uh, 
caring for our wife appropriately. And Paul's mission, too, would have been difficult or even impossible to do with a wife. He was putting himself in danger all the time. That's kind of the question that we ask. What, what risks do you take for the gospel if you have a family? Now, you certainly do still take some risks, but it changes because now you have other priorities, other th- people you care for. I used to, and I, and I still would under some circumstances, but I used to, before we had kids, I used to pick up hitchhikers all the time. And I know some of you would say that's a bad idea, but I'm a pretty big guy. I felt pretty comfortable taking that risk. But I never pick up hitchhikers with my kids in the car or my wife in the car or anybody else. If I'm alone and I'm not like rushing to get somewhere, which is pretty rare, then I'll still do it. But if I... (laughs) If like I have to get if I have to get somewhere, but I used to before before we had kids and everything, I would just be you know by myself in the car. I'd pick up hitchhikers all the time and drive them wherever they wanted to go. Um, and it was a great opportunity to like, but that's a risk, and I understand it's a risk. I was doing it for the sake of the kingdom to reach these people, but and I'm not recommending anybody do that. But I'm just saying that's a risk that I was willing to take when I didn't have my kids in the car with me. Uh, now I have to be more considerate about those things. So um, that's what the benefit of remaining unmarried is that you can have undivided attention. Now, I also want to, would also want to point out that in, in general, this is something that I was taught when I was uh, in, from, from John Parker, my youth pastor. Um, he, he brought up as we were like, talking in, in youth group about evaluating relationships and that kind of thing. He says, he said that when, when you get in a relationship with, with someone, your ministry will either double or half. And then that kind of tells you, is this relationship good for you? Is this relationship focused on the Lord or not? And, and then since then, I've kind of evaluated, and that seems to generally be true as far as I'm concerned, that, that oftentimes, so all the types of things you can do might change. The overall ministry output can, can actually go up um, depending on, on what that relationship is like. All right. Um, so one thing we can see in this passage is that everyone can value and promote God's design for marriage. Whether you're married or not, you can be a champion for God's uh, good um, godly marriages, right? You can be a champion for marriage in, as, the way, as God designed it to be. Everyone can value and promote these things. Even Jesus could, and he never had a marriage. He never had a marriage, and yet he still promoted marriage under God's design. Because marriage is meant to reflect the heart of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul speaks of this. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul is saying there that marriage is this reflection of, that godly marriage is a reflection of the gospel and should be a reflection of the relationship between Jesus and the church. So your marriage should be a testimony of of the gospel. So the best thing you can do to promote God's design for marriage is have a good one. That's an important thing to consider in, in today's world because that's something that 
there's, there's like this, this culture war that's going on over marriage that like I put over here, it's outside of, of what we do. It, maybe, it's, maybe it's important, I don't know. But it, it's a cultural thing that's happening that's not necessarily about the gospel. Um, but, but if you're concerned about that, so often that is couched in like what we are against language. That's so often where we like to take that, people like to fight all of our cultural wars is just like, we're united to be against this thing. That's almost everything in, in, in today's world is like this group, we're against this thing. And now well, we're against you. And so that's about what you're against instead of what you're for. And I think what Jesus is showing here is that we should be about what we're for. We should be about promoting, we should promote godly marriage, God's original design for marriage. Even when Jesus is asked about divorce, he brings up God's design for marriage. So the best thing you can do to promote godly marriage is model a good one, have a good one. All right, lastly here, we'll look at verses 13 through 15. Children, then children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So people now are bringing children to Jesus so he could pray for them. He can lay hands on them and pray for them. Um, and, and the disciples, they think that Jesus has better things to do. And so they try to usher the kids away. They're like, keep back, kids, get out of here. You know, they're kind of, you can imagine kids trying to break through and they're trying to keep them away. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, were you not listening? It's a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that Jesus did this whole thing about childlike faith and how he values childlike faith and that children are this model and that children matter to the kingdom. And he's got to teach it again because they didn't get it. And so now he's telling them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. He, want, he values children because children matter to God. They matter to Jesus. He had already demonstrated this, but now he demonstrates it again. He prioritizes them. He says they should be able to come just like everybody else. And, and so he's able here to model the fact that children matter to him, even though he never had children himself. And that's true for us as well. Both of these things, you see, this is where I talked about at the beginning. Is Jesus a family man? Well, yeah, even though he didn't have a family of his own. He had a family of origin, obviously with his uh, Mary and Joseph and his brothers and sisters, but he never had his own children. He never had a wife, and yet he promotes and values these things even though he didn't have one. So if you never had children, you can be like Jesus and, and value children and care for them and, and promote ministry to them and all those things. All right, we'll wrap up with this. How should we then live? Three takeaways for today's passage. Number one, honor God's creator, creation intent for marriage. God's original design for marriage should be honored and again is best honored in the way that we, in the way that we conduct our own marriages and in terms of how we, advice we give to one another about their marriages and, and how we talk to people about their marriages. Number two, be intentional about caring for your spouse and the health of your marriage. It should be something that we take seriously, that we put time into, that we're intentional about. Number three, promote marriage, children, and family, whether you have one or not. Would you pray with me now? 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you would uh, allow these values, allow these things that you cared about to be things that we care about. Um, Just like Jesus, even though some of us don't have marriages, some of us don't have families, but we can value and support them just like Jesus did. We can care for people just like Jesus did. And God, for those who who, um, are longing for these things, I pray that you would step in and show them either the way that you, what, what you have for them, the will that you have for them, that, that you might speak into their lives, that you might show them the benefits of, of being just as they are right now, but then also show them the path you have for them to walk. I pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.